You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the years I've spent in ministry, I've come upon one problem again and again and again. The problem involves the perception that we have to do something to make ourselves worthy of God's love. The problem that I see again and again and again with people who are new to the church and people who have grown up in the church is that we have to do something to make ourselves worthy of God's love. The problem manifests itself in a couple of different typical turns of phrase or ways of speaking. Maybe I meet someone who hasn't been to church in a long time. Maybe they've come to a funeral or to some special event. And uh, they want to explain why they haven't been around in a while. And they say, well, you know, preacher, if I were to show up, the ceiling would probably cave in. I'm always quick to remind them that here we are and the structure is intact. Others, in conversation, casual conversation, even though they attend church regularly, will sometimes say, I just don't feel worthy of His love. And I try and I try and I try to do things, but I never feel worthy enough for His love. There's this perception that we have that God only accepts us if we do the right kinds of things or if we live in the right sort of way. Mark wants us to begin to wrestle with the reality that that is a false perception. And he does that by showing us how much Jesus loves people who aren't worthy of Him. He shows us how much Jesus embraces and runs and draws people who are not worthy to Him In love. So that He can minister to them and care for them. All through the Gospels. We see this in Mark chapter 2. Jesus embraces sinners. The unworthy. The ungodly. He heals. He calls. And He fellowships. And Mark tells us these stories about Jesus' life. He fills in the narrative in this way because He wants us to understand that our sin does not keep Jesus away. But, pretending it's not an issue will. Our sin isn't the thing that keeps Jesus away. What we'll discover is self-righteousness. 
self-confidence. Those are the things that create distance between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin does not keep Jesus away, but pretending it's not an issue will keep him distant. So Mark shows us Jesus' love for sinners. And he does it initially in the story of the healing of the paralytic. It doesn't start out as a story about how Jesus accepts sinners, but it ends up there. It starts out as a story about how Jesus heals people who can't walk. And he's been doing this. He's been healing people and casting out demons. And so a crowd has begun to gather, and apparently they follow him to the house. So Mark tells us at the beginning of chapter 2, he's returned to Capernaum after he's been out preaching and healing and cleansing people. And word gets out that he's back at home, back at the house. And so people start to gather around. And it's such a big crowd that there's no space. It's like you can imagine being a little bit late to this gathering. And there's people gathered outside the door. And somebody's kind of on their tiptoes trying to peek over the shoulders. To Maybe I can hear what Jesus has to say. Maybe I can get close enough to experience this. whatever's going on. This guy, I've heard about him. He's amazing. I want to be a part of that. And so these four guys heard that Jesus is around, and they heard, also heard that Jesus heals people, and so they go and they get their friend who's paralyzed. He can't walk. And they get him, and you can kind of imagine, he's got this blanket, and they kind of, one on each corner, and they hoist him up, and they get there, and they can't get in because that crowd at the door is overflowing. So what do they do? Well, let's go up on the roof, and maybe you kind of maybe seen pictures of Ancient Middle Eastern houses where you get the stairs going up the side and they kind of get up on the top and the top is kind of a thatch thing and they kind of brush it aside and you can maybe imagine Jesus down inside. He's teaching and all of a sudden like the ceiling kind of starts to crumble a little bit and it's coming down on him and he's looking up and the other people are thinking maybe we need to get out of here before the whole place falls down and all of a sudden the sunlight begins to peer through and all of a sudden the sheet or this blanket, whatever this guy's on, begins to come down and these four guys are lowering the guy through the roof because they're so eager to get him to Jesus so that he can be healed. And Jesus says the last thing they expect. They expect a healing. A physical healing. But Jesus takes the opportunity to shatter expectations. Remember, the kingdom of God, the way Jesus brings it, is unexpected. All the way through the Gospel of Mark. That's why the series is Unexpected Kingdom. Because it's, Jesus is just taking what people expect about the kingdom of God and shredding expectations. So people are expecting Jesus to say, Oh, hey, wow, you've just been brought in through the roof. Stand up and walk. But instead, he says the last thing anyone expects him to say, because it's something that only God is allowed to say. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. His friends bring him with a physical ailment that needs to be healed. 
Jesus understands there's a deeper issue. There's a heart that needs to be healed. There's a heart that's far from God. This guy is a sinner. Jesus perceives it. But he doesn't go, you are unworthy of me. He doesn't say, I mean, think about the, you know, the folks who th- say things like, if I were to walk into the church, the ceiling would fall in. Well, that's exactly what happened when this guy showed up in Jesus' house. They ripped the ceiling up to drop him in through the roof. And Jesus doesn't get upset. Jesus doesn't get angry. Jesus doesn't go, what are you doing tearing up a house? Take your sinful self out of here and fix the ceiling while you're at it. That's not his response. But when we come and we say, I don't feel worthy of him. I want him to, I got to do some things. I got to work harder. I got to make him love me. Like we are missing the Jesus that Mark shows us. Jesus doesn't push the sinner away, Jesus doesn't say, You're unworthy. Get out of here. He says, come to me. Let me heal you. Let me heal you in ways you don't even know you need to be healed. There are things in you that, like, you think you're unworthy. You're not even, you don't have any idea how unworthy you are. You are more unworthy than you could possibly imagine. So come to me, and I'll heal you in ways more stunning and spectacular than you can possibly imagine. Whenever someone says to me, I feel so unworthy, I always respond, you are more unworthy than you can believe. And I am too. All of us are unworthy of his love. Mark wants us to know that doesn't keep Jesus away. Our unworthiness Our darkness, our sinfulness does not keep Jesus away. He calls broken, damaged, rebel sinners. He seeks people whose hearts are bent inward on themselves. And he transforms us so that we are focused on loving God in Christ and neighbor. Jesus takes sinners who are unworthy and transforms us by His grace into the kind of people who can embody His holy love. Our sin does not keep Jesus away. But Mark also wants us to discover that pretending we don't have a sin problem very much can keep Jesus away. That's what happens as this passage progresses. As soon as Jesus says those unexpected words, Son, your sins are forgiven, some of the scribes We're sitting there, we're told, and they're questioning in their hearts. Why does this fellow speak in this way, right? They haven't said it out loud. They're kind of off in the corner. Maybe they've heard this Jesus is doing some surprising things, talking about the kingdom. Let's go scope this action out, see what he's up to. And so you can imagine 
The law, the experts in Torah, the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, they're in the corner. They're kind of, all right, did you hear what he said? And they're kind of, let's see what's going on here. And then the thing, the guy comes in through the roof. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And immediately their hearts are hardened against Jesus. They don't say, wow, there's someone in our midst who can forgive sins. They go, who does this? What? Who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And you realize Mark is sort of winking at us right now. Yeah, that's right. Who do you think has shown up in front of you? The Son of God. The one who can do what God does because he's God in the flesh. It's blasphemy, they say. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus, who knows our hearts and knows our hearts better than we do, <laughs> perceives what they're questioning. That they're kind of off in the corner whispering about how he's blaspheming. And so he says to them, he provoked. Notice how often Jesus just straight up provokes a confrontation, right? He could have left well enough alone and the guy could have just... Had his sins forgiven, he could have healed him and sent him on home, and those guys could have gone and done their things. But instead, Jesus addresses them. He calls them out. Why do you raise these kinds of questions in your hearts? Which one is easier, right? You came expecting me just to heal the guy's legs. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and walk? You've questioned my authority to say your sins are forgiven. It'd be a lot harder for me to act. Anybody, I mean, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. I can say it. You can say it. Jesus could say the scribes and Pharisees, and anybody can say it whether or not it actually works, <laughs> whether or not we have the authority for those words to mean anything is a different matter. So Jesus says, you know, anybody can say your sins are forgiven. <laughs> the question is, do those words have authority behind them? Just to show you that I've got the authority, let's do the harder thing. Take up your mat and walk. And instantly, the guy just kind of gets up, rolls up the rug or whatever they dropped him through the roof on. I guess he had to part the crowds a little bit to get out, but he... And, He's, done. He's healed. And Mark's point is, Jesus embodies the authority. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus embodies the authority of God, because He's God in the flesh, to forgive sins. And God is blessing His ministry. And if He were blaspheming, certainly God wouldn't heal anyone through His Word. So He's doing the more difficult thing to show that His words mean what He says. And the opposition begins to solidify. Because Jesus, right? This is the reason the scribes don't like Jesus. Because he loves the unworthy. They think they're the worthy. They think they're righteous. 
They're experts in Moses and the law, and they keep it to a T. But here's this guy coming around saying, you're all a bunch of dirty sinners. Good news is, I love sinners, and I forgive you. You're forgiven. Come. And they begin to oppose him. And there is relational distance that emerges because of their self-righteous attitude and behavior. Sin does not keep Jesus away, but pretending it's not an issue by acting in self-righteousness will keep him away. Now Mark wants to put an exclamation point on the fact that Jesus accepts unworthy sinners. That sin doesn't keep Jesus distant. He doesn't say, you know, get yourself, clean yourself up, get your act together, and then come to me when you've obeyed the rules for 20 years or something, right? He doesn't do that. So he leaves this place where he accepts the paralyzed sinner who is now forgiven, and he goes out again in verse 13, beside the sea, the crowd gathers around him, plenty of witnesses to see what's going on. He's teaching them, and as he's walking along, he sees this guy named Levi, and Levi is sitting at a tax booth, and Jesus says to Levi, follow me. And Levi gets up and follows him. Now the reason this is scandalous is because the tax collectors were compromisers with the Roman Empire. Right? Basically, the tax booth along the roadway, it's more like in our, in our day what you might look at as a, to, a toll booth. Say you're on your way down to the beach and you've got to go through that toll road and you get up to the thing and if you don't have correct change, you're, it's tough luck for you because they won't raise the little bar so your car can get through. That or they'll send you a thing in the mail and charge you a little extra, right? It's like a toll booth. That's where Levi's the guy in the toll booth. But it's a lot worse then than it is now because the tax collectors were authorized to take what they had to give to Rome and then to add their fee, and their fee could be quite exorbitant. And so they're charging their Jewish kinsmen exorbitant percentages, giving Rome their cut and getting rich off their contract with the Roman Empire. And so Levi and other tax collectors and sinners were persona non grata. People did not like these people. So Jesus <laughs> leaves the scribes who already don't like him. He goes to find somebody who's compromised with the enemy and says, hey, why don't you come and hang with me? Follow me. I want to come to your house. Let's have a meal. Call your friends, all of them. I know they're disasters. Bring them along. Let's eat. Mark tells this story to make the point that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't just embrace sinners who come to him. He doesn't just embrace the unworthy who get dropped in through the roof. He goes looking for the worst. He goes looking for the most compromised. He goes looking for the people who take advantage of other people to get ahead. Jesus goes looking for the unworthy. Jesus goes looking for sinners. Right? Because our sin doesn't keep him away. Sinful people are precisely the kind of people he's looking for. And so we get Levi, who's about as bad as you can imagine, and Jesus says, come on. Let's go get something to eat. Then we're told that they go to dinner in Levi's house. Verse 15. And it's not just one tax collector it's many tax collectors. Levi has brought his, you know, his friends, his associates, and other sinners. 
and they're sitting with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. And so again, Mark very quickly and very succinctly has shown us how Jesus embraces the paralytic. And we don't realize he's about to talk about sin, but he shifts the conversation and does. And just to make sure we don't miss the point that Jesus not only welcomes sinners, he seeks sinners. We get Levi, who's compromised with the bad guys, and all his buddies. And Jesus sits down at a table with them for intimate fellowship. Because our unworthiness doesn't scare him away. He doesn't wait for people to make themselves worthy. He goes looking for unworthy people. Now this again provokes opposition, doesn't it? This again provokes opposition. The scribes of the Pharisees, right? We had scribes earlier, now we got some more scribes. Folks focused on the legality of, you know, these folks, they sort of, we want to make sure we don't break the law, so let's have some extra safeguards so we don't even get close to breaking the law. We're not supposed to work on the Sabbath, so don't walk more than X number of steps, because if you walk X plus one, it's going to be work, and we don't want to do that. So just back up and don't, don't, don't do that. So they come to him. Again, they don't confront Jesus. They, can, they raise the question with his disciples. Notice how unwilling they are to even confront Jesus. They're not repentant. They're not surrendered to him. They're sneaking around behind his back. They're kind of conspiring in their little holy huddle. Why does he talk about these ways? Why is it blasphemy? Oh, now he's eating with sinners. Let's grab Peter and John and say, what, what, what's his deal? Doesn't he, know, doesn't he know who he's hanging out with? Why does he eat? Verse 16. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Disciples don't get a chance to respond. Jesus overhears, and he's happy to jump in, and he says this. And this, friends, is perhaps one of the scariest things in the whole Bible. I was working on this Thursday. I was thinking about this. Like This this is not the Jesus that we've grown accustomed to. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Let that sink in for a minute. Because we like to think of Jesus who came for everybody, right? Jesus came for everybody. Jesus came for you, and he came for him, and he came for her. And just Jesus just loves everybody. He's, all, he's your friend. He's your pal. His arms are open wide. And here's Jesus saying, I didn't come for you. Wow. Like, it's very hard for us to imagine Jesus <laughs> saying, I did not come for to call you. There are some people in the world, there is a sort of person in the world Jesus didn't come for. That is scary and scandalous. The key is don't be that kind of person. 
If there's a kind of person Jesus did not come to call, brothers and sisters, let's not be that kind of person. Let's not be in that group. And what is the name of that group or what is the character of that kind of person? It's the self-righteous. It's the people who have confidence in themselves and not in Jesus. Right? And they demonstrate that their confidence is in themselves and not in Jesus because they have set themselves in opposition to Jesus. And the opposition just builds. Right Now, now it's just, you know, a, a moment ago it was, let's talk amongst ourselves about this guy behind his back. And now it's, let's go to his disciples and try to create some, they're triangulating, aren't they? They kind of want to, you don't want to be associated with that guy because he's, mixing with the wrong crowd, and Jesus just blasts all that to pieces and straight up tells these guys, your hearts are hearts, like, I can't, I can't do anything with that. And he uses this physician metaphor, doesn't he? Which helps us understand who the gospel is for. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Right? If you have cancer and you're unwilling to go and get tested or get the checkup and let the doctor do their work or have it, the biopsy done, it's very hard to know what kind of treatment. You cannot know what kind of treatment you need until you're willing to embrace the diagnosis. And Jesus wants them to understand your hearts are filled with cancer. And I am the physician. But if you won't hear my diagnosis that your hearts are black and rotten, I can't heal you. Levi, nobody has to persuade him that he is a rebel. He signed a contract with the Roman Empire. Everybody, he knows he's a bad guy. <laughs> but the scribes, they think they're okay. They're not willing to yield to Jesus. They're not willing to say, yes, we've loved God's law, but we are broken and we need you to come and fill us and enable us. We need you to forgive us. We need you to heal us. That, they don't do that. They don't take that attitude to him. They resist him and they insist on self-confidence and self righteousness and it creates relational distance between them and Jesus if they think they have to get worthy they think they are worthy there's not much he can do with them which is a good warning for us who think we need to be worthy before he'll accept us like if we ever got to the place where we could say you know Jesus I'm worthy of you now we would be doing exactly what these guys are doing and Jesus would have nothing to do with us. Like, let's, get, let's wrestle with that. If we were ever able to get ourselves to the point where we felt worthy of Jesus, we would have gotten ourselves to the point of the scribes or the Pharisees and Jesus would say, I've not come for you because you think you're righteous. You think you're worthy. I've come for the sick. So brothers and sisters, let's give up trying to become worthy of him. Just forget it. 
It's a dead end. It's, an, it's a road that leads to death. Our sin does not keep Jesus away, but pretending it's not an issue, that's what they're doing. We don't have a sin problem. It's not an issue for us. We are experts in the law. That's what keeps Jesus away. That's what keeps Jesus away. Which means we need to be uncompromisingly honest about our sin. There is a kind of a saying in church circles, maybe this is more a preacher thing than it is an everybody thing, I don't know, you can tell me later. But uh, it's common, you know, to hear a preacher say, you got to get them lost before you can get them found. And what that means, if, if, you, if it doesn't resonate with you, is there's a lot of people um, who kind of go to church, and they always have, and they think Jesus is really lucky to have them on the team. Aren't you glad I'm around, Jesus? I got some resources, and I got some know-how, and I, let's, let's do this. You sure are lucky to have me. And they're not the kind of person who's going to be humble before the Lord. They're not the kind of person who's going to bow their knee and confess their sin. And that's the kind of person who... Preachers feel the need to confront you with the darkness of your heart so that Jesus can actually do something to humble you and make you whole. Got to get them lost before you can get them found. These guys, the scribes of the Pharisees, they do not know they are lost. They got to get lost so that they can get found. They've got to discover their loss so that Jesus can find them. The point is, that we have to be uncompromisingly honest about our need for Jesus. We have to be uncompromisingly honest about the darkness of our hearts. And friends, let me just say this. Our hearts are darker than we realize. One of the things that happens as you walk with Jesus for a longer time is you discover that it's worse than you thought it was when you started walking with Jesus. Like, you meet Jesus and... He forgives your sins and you feel excited and this is great. Jesus loves me and he's forgiven me. And then you walk with him for a while longer, a couple months, a couple years, and turns out there's some stuff so dark, dark stuff so deep in your heart, you didn't know it was there. But over time, the Spirit of God has shined the light of the love of Jesus on it, and it's finally come to light, and he just he wants to pull it out. I pray for my kids almost every day, that they will know their need in increasing ways. They will know their need for Jesus more and more and more. That never stops. Let's pray for each other that we will know our need for Jesus more and more and more. And how much do we need Him when we come into this world? We're lost. We're not worthy of Him. I love John Wesley because John Wesley was happy to be honest about the reality of sin. This is a, a quote from his sermon. The sermon is called Original Sin. So you can guess what that's about. But here's a quote from the sermon. Just listen to this. This Wesley, this is a calls him like he sees him kind of guy. 
Wesley said this, No man or woman loves God by nature any more than he does a stone. You catch that? <laughs> Wesley says, Our natural selves, you'd rather go love a rock in the parking lot than Jesus. No man loves God by nature any more than he does a stone or the earth that he treads upon. What we love, we delight in. But no man has naturally any delight in God. In our natural state, we cannot conceive how anyone should delight in Him. We take no pleasure in Him at all. He is utterly tasteless to us. To love God, it is far above, out of our sight. We cannot naturally attain to it. Wow. Just let that sit with you for a little bit. To love God is out of our sight. We cannot naturally attain in it. Notice the language that he uses. Delight, desire. And maybe it's a good diagnostic for us to ask the question, what do I desire? And what do I delight in? And if Jesus isn't the answer, then it means there's some things in my heart that Jesus needs to heal. The good thing is, Jesus came for sinners. If we don't realize how far we are from Him, it's very hard for that distance to be crossed. But if, by the grace of God, we can be humble and surrender and kneel, just let His grace carry us in on a rug because we are unable. We, we are spiritual paralytics. We cannot walk to Him. We cannot come to Him. We have nothing to offer Him except the sin for which He came to save us, from which He came to save us. That's all we have to give him is our darkness, our brokenness, our shame, and our unworthiness. And we deceive ourselves if we think we can make ourselves worthy of him. We just have to come to him and open our hands and hearts and say, we're not worthy. Thanks be to God that you love us anyway. If you want to know how dangerous it is, To ignore your unworthiness? If you want to know how dangerous it is to insist on your self-righteousness, read the rest of this passage. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a grain field. It's the Sabbath, and obviously you can't harvest grain on the Sabbath. That would be work. But they're hungry. So one of the disciples reaches over and eats some grain. The Pharisees, is it the Pharisees or the scribes? Where are we here? The Pharisees this time. Apparently they're hiding in the grain field and they just pop up out of nowhere and call the disciples out. Look what they're doing, lawbreakers! If you want a sure sign of somebody who's self-righteous, it's when they start calling other people out for 
You're breaking God's law. Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus tells the story to make the point that the Sabbath isn't about starving people. <laughs> but that God made it for human wholeness. And if that means having a little bit of food to nourish your hungry belly, Jesus says, that's okay. Apparently it's not good enough for the Pharisees. They keep an eye out for him. He goes into the synagogue at some point. There's a guy with a crippled hand, a withered hand. And this time they're watching. He's, he's broken the Sabbath before, at least in our way of thinking. Let's see if he does it again. Because obviously, healing someone on the day of rest constitutes work and lawbreaker. Just, this is, it is da dangerous. Self-righteousness, self-confidence, friends. This has gone from let's whisper in the corner about Jesus to let's try to trap him. See how quickly that escalates? Come, Jesus says to the man with the withered hand. Again, notice Jesus is not afraid to provoke the conflict. <laughs> Come, Jesus says. Verse 4. Imagine the scene. So he takes the man, they're in, they're in the synagogue, the local synagogue. He takes the guy with the withered hand. This guy's like, what's going on? And he, Jesus has him right here, and he looks over at the, the front Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, and he says to them, is it lawful? You want to talk about the law? Let's talk about the law. To do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill it? They're silent. They don't, have a, they don't have a response. They know. like They're silent. And he looks around with anger. Like, there's so much about the Jesus in Mark 2 and 3 that we like gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Mark gives us Jesus who did not come for self-righteous people and gets angry at them. <laughs> he looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did. He stretched it out. And his hand was restored. Now here's the thing. You want to know how dangerous it is to set yourself, to harden your heart against Jesus, to go, these guys started out at the beginning of the passage conspiring in the corner, and at the end of the passage they are conspiring to kill him. They went from talking about him behind his back to plotting his death in the span of a chapter and a few verses. Hardness of heart is dangerous. It's not just, I'll come back to Jesus when I have time. It's, I hate Jesus enough to kill him. Now, very few people say that out loud. But when we come to a place where we insist on ourselves and our way and our preferences and not Jesus' preferences, that's the path we are on. And it gets worse the longer you stay on it. And it gets harder to turn around the longer you stay on it. You can imagine, once these guys start plotting with people they don't even like, it says they're plotting with the Herodians, right? Herod's people were compromisers with the empire. Herod is only on the throne because he made a deal with Caesar. Scribes and Pharisees don't like Caesar, but they like Jesus less, and they're willing to partner with people they don't like politically to get rid of Jesus. 
the Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. You either surrender to him or you conspire against him. Those are the options Mark presents to us. So let's stop trying to make ourselves worthy of Jesus. It is a failed effort. We can never be worth it. Some of you may have stumbled across this live stream, and you might be one of the people who said, well, I couldn't go to church if I did, the ceiling would fall in. Good news is there's a story in the Bible about the ceiling coming in when a sinner shows up in front of Jesus and Jesus embraces the sinner. You may be one of those people who said year after year after year, I keep going to church because I'm trying to get worthy of God's love. Trying. Stop trying. You'll never get there. And if you ever do get to the place where you feel worthy, it means your heart will be hardened against him. Our sin doesn't keep Jesus away. Our self-righteousness does. Our sin doesn't keep Jesus away. Pretending we're not sinners does. So the invitation today is an invitation to confess. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive me, to embrace me. I cannot make myself worthy. Only you can do that. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.